welcome to the DadCast Podcast. I'm your host, Lavelle Lamonnier. Now, as a Christian man, a husband, father, grandfather, business owner, professor, and proud U.S. Army veteran, I've gained some unique perspectives on life's issues. So as a result of that, this podcast is designed to give a dad's perspective on everything from A to Z. I'd like to give a big thank you to our sponsors, writeitout.tech, where you can get all of your academic writing needs met, and by Lamonier Photography, where we see the world through a different lens. Let me also give a great big shout out and special thanks to my lovely wife, Dr. Gabrielle Lamonier, who is the co-creator and co-content manager of this broadcast. DadCast Nation, what's good everybody? What's cracking? What's popping? We've got another great show for you today. Before we dive in on this topic today, let me give you a quick bit of financial news. Let me throw this little disclaimer out as always. I'm not an investment broker or a financial consultant. I'm just a dad who follows the market and has a background in accounting, finance, and economics. So these tips are purely speculative. In an Investing Outlook article this week, uh, world-respected finance PhD expert Dr. Steve Sluggard said this, This is an event that will go down in financial history. Fortunes will be made and lost. And it all comes down to knowing what's coming and positioning yourself before 2020 comes to an end. So what is the big this that he's referring to? Well, he and many other analysts predict that the uncertainty of the election's outcome and the possibility of legal action after the election may have a significant negative impact on the financial market, so much so that it could cause a financial shutdown. Now, I'm not a doom and gloom fan, nor do I subscribe to the conspiracy theories that are out there, but what I do know is that I work extremely hard for my money, like many of you do, and I want to protect my assets at all costs. So my tip for you this week is to be smart, be safe, and most of all, be informed. Now for our inspirational thought of the day, I'm going to borrow this line from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who actually took this line from Mahatma Gandhi, which says, you may never know what results come of your actions, but if you do nothing, there will be no results. Another great American lyricist by the name of Bob Marley once said, get up, stand up, stand up for your rights, get up, stand up, don't give up the fight. Folks, we're in a time in human history where in this, when it is paramount that we each stand for something so that we don't fall for anything. And now, get ready, hold on tight, hold on to your seats, folks. It's time for the dad joke of the day. A husband and wife had been arguing all day. They pass a herd of jackasses. The wife says, relatives of yours? The husband says, yep, in-laws. All right, all right, folks. It's a dad joke funny to some, not so much to others. All right, today we've got a very interesting topic. 
And this title, the, the title to this episode is Shut Up and Dribble, and I'm calling it the Election Edition. We're going to discuss sports and politics, and we may throw a little entertainment uh, value in there as well. To help me dissect this big topic today, I've got two amazing men in the studio with me. The first one is Mr. Curtis Brown. Uh, he is a native of Port Arthur, Texas. Um, and I remember watching this young man while he was in high school playing sports and, um, and now as a, as a dad and a husband and a, uh, a good community uh, leader, he's doing a good job out, um, out there in Fresno, I think he tells me, um, and doing a good job being, a, I like the fact that he is a, a girl dad. Uh, he has, uh, I know he has one daughter that's in college right now and uh, she's doing extremely well, and so I want to welcome to the show Mr. Curtis Brown. Thank you, thank you. And then our other guest that we have in the studio with us today is uh, Mr. Calvin Menifee. Mr. Mr. Menifee is um, a man that I met a few, I don't know, I guess last year sometime. And uh, we've, we've struck up a bit of a friendship over, the, over time, and I uh, found out recently, I didn't know, I knew he was a big guy, but I didn't know that he was an Oklahoma State University four-year starter. Mm -hmm. uh, what sport were you in? Football. He was a football Offensive player. lineman. Offensive lineman. So, uh, folks, you can imagine, there's no little guys <laughs> in the studio today. <laughs> but, hey, we, uh, we're glad to have Mr. Menifee with us, Mr. Menifee and... Um, Mr. Brown, I'm going to call them Curtis and Calvin for those that are listening, but uh, they're going to help me look at this topic uh, that we have. And I'm, I want to kick things off here just a minute. Uh, let me cue up something, folks, for you to listen to. If you will recall, back um, two years ago, there was a, um, uh, a Fox News analyst or reporter, uh, Laura Ingram, I think was her name, and she basically told LeBron James to just shut up and dribble. And I want to play a clip of that so we can get the context, context of what she was saying. And we're going to use that to segue into our discussion. They're create a new banner. This is a jump dock alert. NBA superstar LeBron James is talking politics again. I know you guys were excited to see her. I didn't know you guys were excited to see me too. But uh, thank you. <laughs> as much as you guys would love to hear from me, I would much rather love to hear from our next president, Ms. Hillary Clinton. Now, a historic moment. Uh, we can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. And this time it's R rated. Here's his barely intelligible, not to mention ungrammatical take on President Trump and a new ESPN podcast. The number one job in America, the point of person, is someone who doesn't understand the people and really don't give a f about the people. But wait, there's more gripping insight. ESPN host Kerry Champion asked James and fellow NBA star Kevin Durant about what she described as Trump's racist comments. I feel like our team as a, as a country is not owned by a great coach. It's not even a surprise when he says something. It's not even a surprise. It's like laughable. It's like, it's laughable, but, it's, but it's also scary. Right, right. Right. I shouldn't be numb to your racist right, comments. Right. I shouldn't be numb to your behavior. 
I'm not into this commentary. Like, must they run their mouths like that? Unfortunately, a lot of kids and some adults take these ignorant comments seriously. Look, there might be a cautionary lesson in LeBron for kids. This is what happens when you attempt to leave high school a year early to join the NBA. And it's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid $100 million a year to bounce a ball. Oh, and LeBron and Kevin, you're great players, but no one voted for you. Millions elected Trump to be their coach. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. All right. I guess that sets the stage for what we're going to discuss. <laughs> She went in pretty hard on LeBron James and Kevin Durant. Um, she was calling their comments their comments unintelligible. Mm-hmm. Um, she was basically alluding to the fact that the, the grammar that they used, um, she didn't feel was proper. She didn't feel that the commentary was necessary. Uh, and then she closes out that little segment by telling him uh, to shut up and dribble. So, with that in mind, what do you guys think about that? Should let me let me pose the first question. Should should LeBron James have a voice on the political scene? I believe he should. Just because of the fact he's a, a brand in himself, so to say, and he got millions of followers on social media is a number of millions of following social media, right? So he has a voice, he has a platform to speak about it. I mean Politics and sports had to just start with LeBron James. You can go back to Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and all those guys uh, back then. Uh, Brown and all those, they, it's always been around, but now you have social media to even put it out even more. And him saying that, and all the people that's following him, he should speak up, they should speak up. That's what they're going What made me mad over the, uh, just recently when they had the whole bubble for the NBA, and they shut down because they were upset of shooting or whatever. Um, I would imagine they did stop playing for a couple of days just for the simple fact. If you stop playing, your voice would not be heard. As long as you are playing, you still you have that platform to speak on. So I was happy when they came back to speaking about it and they started playing again. Because if they shut down, then nobody's going to know the world's going to go back. I want to come back to that point because I do have a position on that point. That's an interesting uh, point. But I want to get Calvin's take on this. What do you think about LeBron James and his political voice? I believe that... I applaud LeBron James, and I believe he should continue to raise his voice and use his platform for this cause. Politics and sports is always intertwined together. Back from, like you say, even Paul Robinson, you know, the Jackie Robinsons. uh, And those guys had a lot more to lose than these guys now. Um, It was just recent, as of the 1980s, that major professional athletes were still taking second jobs. You know, so they had a lot to lose. Uh, post these guys have millions of dollars um, so they intertwine and no one ever gives uh, issue with NBA owners NFL owners donating to these politicians uh, Robert Kraft for example for the New England Patriots uh, owner is a known giver to the Trump organization many of them even BET former owner BET and former owner of the uh, Charlotte Bobcats Bob Johnson recently acknowledged that he gives and he's a, a Republican and he's going to remain that way. So these in, in, uh, professional owners are allowed to be, have that platform 
but they seem like they want to put the athletes in their place. And like her comment, the very offensive about her comment about this was happens when you uh, uh, don't you graduate from high school, you don't go to college, and you let these idiots talk. Well, they don't say that have that same rhetoric when you see tennis players jump from high school straight to the professionals or these other leagues that's predominantly white. So I, it's very offensive, and I think race plays a part of it in a major way. All right, all right. That's uh, that's a point well taken. Um, let's back up a minute. And um, Curtis made a, a point earlier. Tell me one more time um, what your point was. Uh, I got to remember what, what you How said. About them being uh, in the bubble. The yeah, in the bubble. That's right. So I have an interesting take on that because when the George Floyd incident took place, um, and then uh, the the police shooting of the young man in Wisconsin, uh, when these things took place, uh, if you remember, they were there were talks about boycotting brands um, that may have had some racist connotation to them. Um, people were talking about um, just boycotts in general. And I kind of took the position when they were contemplating stopping basketball that there were some more pressing and important issues in our society than being entertained by a sport. Um, and I, I get Curtis's point that the platform allows them um, the opportunity to use their voice to a wider audience. I guess my um, concern is that they can stop playing ball and still go out and protest peacefully, of course, uh, and use their voice in the community uh, without a game taking place. That's just one position that I have. I'm, I'm kind of open both ways. I think Calvin wants to chime in on that. I'm with you 100%. The only issue is is that the LeBron, the very few, there's a very few that have the quiche and, and bring home the $100 million every year in salary and endorsements, who can afford to sit out? There's no secret. There's a lack of financial literacy among athletes. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. So <laughs> the guys at the top who can afford to hold out, it's the ones in the mid and lower level of the salary caps that can't because another position is you're taking away those resources. They may be helping a small business in the black community, back in their community, or helping uh, family members. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a touchy situation, but there was a lot of money on the line. So then you balance what's important now, what we stand for, which is right, or do we go for the money, the bag? Mm -hmm. So that's the decision. That's the in, impasse, I believe, a lot of the athletes in that bubble had to really grasp because – Hey, just because you're making a million dollars, we know that fifty percent of that is out. you don't even touch that. Right. <laughs> so, right. but yeah, but basketball is secondary. But like you say, it's a job. Like the ones who the twelve men that said into the bench, they they taking care of the whole the whole family, or part of the whole community. So, like you say, fifty percent of that money you're not touching. The other twenty five percent probably going to your family or whatever, and you got the other portion going to taxes. So you really not. When you get down to it, that million dollars is not really going as far as you think it would, unless you playing, unless you working. That's their job. So it, it breaks down to it. So I, I can't remember who it was, but one guy, one of our guy, read, he played for the New Jersey Nets. 
And he was saying, it's like you were saying, it's easy for the guys who are making a $40 million contract like Chris Paul and all them. They can they can afford to sit out because they done made their money and they still got these big contracts and all these endorsements deal. But he like, I don't have that, so I have to play to feed my family. He don't live in mansion or nothing like that. He has a regular side of the house. So this like you say, it'll take situations, you gotta find that balance. Mm-hmm. And the platform when I when I got mad about the the bubble platform when they shut down because you gotta realize how many people around the world is watching this platform. And so everybody around the world watching, so you have that big platform to speak to everyone at once and see what, how to get your message across. I mean, it's good to get out in the community, but you also have that one specific platform where everybody watching that one channel at one time so you can speak on it. Interesting, interesting. Um, there are a lot of different ways we can look at this. Uh, we could probably debate all day on it um, and never come to a solid <laughs> conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is that um, I think that athletes whether they're at the professional level, uh, whether they're in a collegiate level, in some cases, even um, at a, like a high school level, awareness is important for these athletes. Um, they have to be informed. They have to recognize that they have a platform at whatever level of sports they're playing on because as an athlete, um, people's eyes are on you. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately or maybe fortunately but we live in a society that thrives on entertainment Mm -hmm. and so when someone is able to entertain us they get our attention and so it's it's important I think that we understand what is best to do with the attention that they receive right I I agree with that and and one thing about the LeBron James of the world and the Dwayne wages they can have the ear to that politician to help make change, to help to have reform and help the communities. And that's why I think it's very important for those guys to stand for something. Now, they, they, they came to agreement not to leave the bubble, but to continue to play basketball. But now that the season is over with, I'm real interested to see where this goes now. Right. Do they keep going and pressing hard? Or that was just a phase to get us through it for the moment. Right. And That's the challenge we have as a community. Right. And I, I was just reading uh, yesterday, Chris Paul led a march, a voters march yesterday in Winston-Salem, um, Winston mm-hmm. North Carolina, to march to get him to the polls to vote registration, to vote and everything. So I do see that he's still trying to push that issue to where people are voting and making their voice being heard. But I'm, I'm like you, though. I want to see how many will actually continue on that path to do what he's doing and mm-hmm. keep it going or just... And not just the athletes. That's yeah. in our community. Right. Yeah. Houston was the jump start of all this with the George Ford. You know, so Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I mean, where are we now in this three, four months later? What, what, what direction are we going to go as society? Right. Because a lot of times the things are hot on the press when the media is providing coverage and everybody's excited about it. You know, they have an opinion one way or the other. Uh, but it kind of fades off. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys that, that I have a lot of respect for um, is Stephen Jackson okay. from our hometown of Port Arthur, who uh, is on the front lines, you know, doing what he does. Um, he's out passing out uh, uh, necessities to families in Port Arthur. He's traveling. He's still fighting uh, with the legal system over uh, some of the cases that we've heard about. Uh, and he's not alone. I mean, I just saw in the news that Offset, 
uh, who was, is he, I don't know if he was married to Cardi B or still married to Cardi B, Uh, (laughs) but he's something with Cardi B. And, um, you know, he was in the news recently um, making uh, a push for voters to get to the polls, young voters, Mm -hmm. um, because he he speaks to that generation. He has that generation's ear. Mm -hmm. And so coming from a guy like that, uh, perhaps... You know, it's it's meaningful to a certain demographic for for him to say we need to get to the polls and vote. I also saw, and I'm gonna let you guys chime in on this. Another guy from the Golden Triangle area, um, who's very successful, won NBA, uh, uh, I think two NBA championships. Kendrick Perkins. Um, Perkins, his wife just posted today that they went and voted for the first time. So. You know, here's another guy that has well-known. He's in, uh, working with ESPN, I believe, now. Um, you know, we hear hear him all the time in the sports world, mm-hmm. uh, who is also crossing over and letting his uh, political position being, been, uh, be known to people. And that's very important, Lavelle, because it's amazing. You may not go, but I go to the barbershop. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> my dad cast nation. Um, you know he's giving a little, um, a little dig here to my bald head and my gray hair. I'm sure, but uh, my man Curtis over here is with me, so uh, we're gonna let Calvin. <laughs> but seriously, and it's amazing. You go in the barbershop and these young guys are saying, "I'm not voting." That doesn't mean anything. You know, you hear a lot of the guys in their twenties have take that position, and it. Us old heads to tell them, to give them the reason and give them some history of why you should vote, you know. So it takes the people they look up to, the offsets, the Kendrick Perkins, the people closer to their age to influence them, you know, because after a certain time, you know, you, you, the generational gap, like all youngsters that's 20 years younger, you don't know anything. You old fuddy duddy, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but to have young people uh, inspire them and galvanize them is very important. And I'm glad, Perk. And she's doing that. Yeah, uh, like you say, kids don't really know. They be like, oh, my vote don't count for nothing. They got somebody else to pick up that vote. But your vote does count. You got to start, like you say, the early, the local level. Mm-hmm. Start at the local level. That's the ones who really elect your, people don't know how electoral vote work. They don't know how that stuff works. You got to elect the ones in the local level to get get the president you want. And But you got to, just like you say, come from people in the community to educate the younger people how to do it. And I've come across a few people before, like, oh, I ain't never voted before, but I'm voting now, though. I'm voting now. And just looking at the numbers, watching the news last night, that um, there's a, a double the amount of people who early voted compared to four years ago. Right. So right. the word is getting out there. They want to see a change. So we just see that change. And my wife mentioned this to me today because we were just talking about that same thing. I saw a headline saying that uh, early voting numbers are already double what it was in 2016. And she uh, mentioned to me that she saw something, but we haven't fact-checked this. So let me just say that um, uh, and as I preface this comment. But she saw something that said that 2016 was the lowest voter turnout in history or something like that. Um, and so half of that whoever was making that point, if that's a valid point, uh, was saying, yeah, it's half of what it was, but 2016 was also a very low year. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that to say that there will always be detractors out there. There will always be people out there who will try to um, push down an effort. 
Um, and so we, I believe we holding a discussion like this and uh, those that are out in the communities, even those that are listening that are in other countries, America is not the first nor will it be the last country that has protest and has social issues to address and civic uh, responsibilities uh, to some of our listeners I was telling Curtis that are in India and Russia and we have some in the UK mm-hmm. we have um, some I think I saw Australia on the list today so they're all over uh, the globe there are issues of importance and there are athletes all over the globe, there are entertainers all over the globe, and there are regular people like you and I who, when we all put our efforts together, we can hopefully get something done, something positive. But I've got to play the advocate's role here um, because I was talking with a lady recently who basically felt like Laura Ingram. She felt like entertainers get paid to entertain and that we shouldn't have to listen to political advice from people who are not in the political arena. Um, And the NBA specifically, so you guys, you know, don't throw darts at me. Mm -hmm. Those that are listening, hear me out before you make a decision or you come to a conclusion about what I'm saying. But as the interview Uh, As the host of this interview, I've got to put some things out here to make us think. If, um, If other sports like would do like the NBA, the NBA was was lined in Black Lives Matter during the bubble. Every time you turned on the TV to a game, you could see a logo of Black Lives Matter. You could see some type of inference to it the other side of that argument is that if other races took a platform like that to promote white supremacy to promote Asian uh, supremacy when it comes to mathematics for instance anything like that we would have a fit so are we right in taking the opportunity to spotlight an issue like Black Lives Matter or are we being are we are we in reverse discrimination reverse racism I believe not because we have historical facts within this country showing how black lives has not mattered okay Um, it's out there I mean the well, a big thing now that's coming to light, another thing Chris Paul has done is make this movie or documentary about the Tulsa race riots. Um, with that being said, um, I don't believe it's reverse discrimination uh, because there's historical facts and undertones in this particular country that show that black people have been lynched, still lynched today, mistreated yesterday, today, and tomorrow until something changed. Uh, you can change all the laws you want, and I'm not an advocate against that, but you can't change people's heart. Mm-hmm. And it's clear, clear as day to me that uh, black lives have not mattered in this country uh, for a very, very long time. Yeah, and that's, 
a good point because if you look what sees on the news, all you're just seeing is us being killed. That's it. You don't really see much what's going on. Um, but, but the president, the president recently said that white cops get killed all the time. But he also didn't denounce uh, white supremacy when they asked him that question in the debate either. <laughs> yeah. So you gotta think about, gotta think about where that come from as well. But um, I also saw like the fact check me on this um, in California that the governor was also thinking about doing reparation for black folks in California. Um, and I, I, so you might want to fact check me there, but I saw the article, I can't remember where I saw it at. But if that's the case, I'm like at least that, at least they're showing some type of way to move forward. But it's it's not reverse at all because that's all you see is just black people getting getting the worst end of it, and and it's always been that way. Now let me chime back in and give you my position for those that are listening who may I don't want you to to misconstrue what I said. <laughs> I'm putting this out there so that we can have the discussion about it. But I firmly believe that if um, if black lives mattered equally as all other lives all along, we wouldn't have to have a movement to focus on Black Lives Matter. So I'm not against um, blue lives. I'm not against any other life um, as an individual, as the host of this show. I think that all lives matter. But in particular, mm -hmm. black lives have not been equaled to other lives. Right. And until there is equality and equity, then we have to focus on bringing up the lives that have been held down for so long, we just want a, a even playing field. And it's, it's, it makes you an even playing field. Just going back to when I first started at FedEx as a manager, as a doc manager. I got promoted uh, when I was in Kansas and I got promoted back down to Houston area in Webster. And I applied for another promotion after a couple years and I didn't get it. They brought somebody else in of a, of a white um, white person, and what my boss at the time wanted me to do is to train my new boss. I said, "Why am I training my boss? She should he already know this? Uh, if y'all didn't want me to be in a position, why am I training him? I I got first of all, I had more experience with him. I was with the company longer than him, but yet you brought him in for him to be my boss, but you want me to train my boss. And I'm like, I'm not training my boss. That's not right because I'm already here when you already had me, but yet you bringing him in because." That's your friend. You like him, and he y'all the same color, you know. But I know, I know how it go around here. Wow! How many times have we heard heard that story? Right. right? Wow, that's familiar. Um, one thing is, it struck me looking at the protests over the past five months or so is that truth is, and it was good to see other ethnic groups march with us, lock stepping, white, Asian. Mexican, whatever. But you know, laws and things can be changed just like that. If those same people that march with us will go straight to their local politicians, march to their city halls, and demand change. You know, it's honorable to march with us, but tell you what, won't you go talk to your cousins that's in position in politics, or your friends, or your neighbor's friends that look like you, that's in those positions to make change, it could be changed just like that. I forget which city and in which state that they marched to the state house to demand it get open, reopened, and it got open like the next day. I forget which city. I, it, 
it doesn't ring a bell right now. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is if you really want to make change, you you reach out to the people that look just like you that's in those positions, and things will get changed immediately. But instead, you march alone, you loot alone, <laughs> along us, and most times you're causing the looting. Yeah, it's not us. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, I just think that personally think that things get changed if the people that want to decide to uh, march along with us put their foot down and go demand change. And I think one of the things that, you know, it's important is that individually we have to have a conviction mm-hmm. about what we believe in and what lengths we are willing to go to for that belief. Um, I've said this a couple times on the broadcast um, but I have been a Dallas Cowboy fan since I was 12 years old. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> let me let, hear the rest of this. I, I get you, you know. You and half of Houston, Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, I've been since Roger Starback was quarterback. Never liked another team in my life. Um, hardly ever missed a game. Diehard fan. My wife would tell you, I had jerseys and all of the paraphernalia. As a matter of fact, this wall in front of you guys was lined with Dallas Cowboy paraphernalia. And when the George Floyd incident took place, um, I made a decision that Jerry, I've never been a fan of Jerry Jones. I've always been a fan of the Cowboys. And I felt like Jerry Jones was running the Cowboys like a plantation owner. And like the, he treats the athletes as if they're property and not people. Uh, and I refused, I made up my mind during that, that moment that I hope continues and, and, and pushes true change, that I was not gonna support anything that doesn't support what I believe. So I dropped the Cowboys, I have not watched the game, I turned the news off if, if they're talking about them, if it's on the radio, I changed the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to hear anything about the Cowboys. As a matter of fact, I'm not even watching football. Um, even though the NFL has tried to make some amends on the Kaepernick issue, mm-hmm. um, I just feel like it's a little too late yeah. and that they don't deserve my attention right now. I have those same sentiments about Jerry Jones. All right. Me being a native Houstonian, I grew up as all this fan, so. Go figure. So I decided, hey, you know what? I'm just going to like football. I have no favorite teams. But as polarizing as Jerry Jones is and as front center and really the voice and face of that franchise, and he, he's never met a Mike that he doesn't like, right? The attention seeker he is. And when all this went down, I too said, where is Jerry Jones? Radio silent. Silent, Right. <laughs> And I said, that it is. That's now you see how owners really feel about their workers. Some disguise it more than better than others, right? Because they still have that same conversation amongst each other. All right, when they behind closed doors and at the country clubs, whatever. But he displayed that mentality you just described. And I was like, wow. And that, that, that was very eye opening. Not surprised. But I opening for attention seeker that that he is to not to say anything mm-hmm. 
with whatever's going on. And when you hear him talk about the Cowboys, he's always say, my players, my players. Like he owns them. My boys. Like that's, that's, that's his property or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like when they first came out of the NFL, people started kneeling at the National Anthem or whatever. He came out and said, my players will not be kneeling or they'll be reprimanded or whatever. And then, like you say, when he came about all of the George Floyd murder and Beyond Taylor, he went silent. We ain't had nothing from him. And everybody always was asking, where's Jerry Jones and all this? And he put up both statement out later down the road that didn't really put him on one side or the other, just kind of past that line just so nobody can really say that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just like, I've never been a Cowboys fan, but I, they, they played on the team I like. Like, for example, the whole thing, the way he treated, treats Dak Prescott, like, pay him, man. <laughs> pay him. The same thing he did in the Smith. He didn't want to pay him until so he had no choice but to pay him. But you were willing to pay Tony Romo all this money while he was hurt. So what's the difference? What's the difference? That's my only question. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just think that um, sports takes a back seat right now to the important issues we have in our society. And if, they're, if the owners are not going to use their platform like players are doing in some cases, um, then, you know, they just don't deserve my support. Uh, and that's with products and brands, you know. And, and what a lot of them are doing is they're they're cutting a the check, like the Philadelphia Eagles owner. Yeah, let me donate. Let me donate five millions, but I'm not five million dollars, but I'm not going to say anything. A lot of them are giving money. That's but we need your voice. Mm-hmm. Your voice is more powerful than money because your voice can, like I said earlier, lead to change. Getting that politicians here, the same one you're donating to. So. A lot of them are saying, okay, yeah, I, I'll write this check off to you, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to say anything to jeopardize my fan base, you know, put my bottom line in jeopardy. Right, right. And that's the thing. A lot of times, you know, players are the same way in some cases that they don't want to jeopardize their bottom line, um, you know, for the greater cause. Right. And that's, a, you know, a fine line to walk. Um, because, like you guys have mentioned, they do have families to feed, um, and they do have responsibilities to take care of, but they also, in my opinion, have been entrusted with a greater level, a greater platform than the average person has. And I feel like uh, if, if players would have said, we are not going to play until there is some systemic change, change would have happened quickly yes. because they drive the economy of sports. Same thing with things like the blackout that uh, was attempted to happen uh, right after the George Floyd um, uh, murder. There was a movement saying that uh, black folks are not going to spend money on this particular day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't do anything. Don't buy gas. Don't buy things from the convenience store. Don't go to the grocery store. Don't spend money on anything unless you do it with a black-owned business. My wife and I support black-owned businesses every week. We go to these restaurants and make sure that we, you know, patronize black-owned businesses. We're trying to help raise the bar mm-hmm. so that there can be equity across the board. But when those those efforts went out, there were a lot of people that just didn't participate, just didn't want to sacrifice whatever it was, buying a meal at a certain restaurant that they love going to that just happens to not be a black-owned restaurant. They just, yeah. you know, I, I and like it. And it's proven it worked. 
look at what Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, achieved with the Montgomery boycott. Boy, boy yeah. I mean, so we've proven it worked. You hit the bottom line, you can make change. Yeah. It, it happened overnight. And I, too, when that blackout, I, forget, I, I don't remember the numbers, but they showed the effect that it did have on the economy. Um, so we have to do a better job of supporting ourselves, taking our own, uh, having ownership of our own responsibility within our community, and not look so much outwardly for help. Because the thing, a lot of things we can do on our own to help ourselves. If we come together, put our heads together, and support each other. I truly believe that. We can work, we can call ourselves out of this situation with the help of other people pushing the buttons to make things happen, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, and um, I was reading, uh, there's a, a group of black people that's in out near Atlanta, Georgia, where they bought like 100 acres to try mm -hmm. to build their own city or whatever. That's, and that's right right there. They're trying to build the community up, their own community up, have their own way of life. Right. Instead of relying on somebody else or somebody else's needs to, to help them out. And I like that. I commend them for that. And let me say this to our listeners. Um, this this broadcast is not racist uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I believe uh, that what we're saying is necessary given the background information that got us to this point, given the, the historical data that has not been in favor or, or been equal to all races. Um, I believe that we have to take necessary steps uh, as a, a race of people to bring ourselves to the position where we can be on an equal playing field. Uh, but I do want to say to our listeners that I'm not against anybody else that's of a different race. I just believe that we have to find equality and equity. I say the two because there's a difference between them. We don't just want to be equal, but there needs to be equity. It's kind of like in the school systems, uh, you can't just give $100,000 to every school and say every school is going to be equal, even though you gave an equal amount to every school. Mm -hmm. Because some schools are already behind the curve when they get the 100000 Right. So they need equity. They need maybe 120000 to equal the 100000 that another school gets. And it's the same thing with black people in business, and I say this all the time. And you guys, you know, and those that are listening know, sometimes you try to patronize black-owned businesses and you do not get a good experience unfortunately that sometimes that does happen I say to business owners all the time that don't cut corners make sure the quality is there don't you know drop your prices so low to try to attract people to come in that you it ends up uh, sacrificing your service level I do understand that minority-owned businesses have a difficult time getting the same buying power that other majority businesses do. So they can't go and buy in bulk many times and get things at the lower prices that a large chain company would get. The reason, though, that they can't do it is because they don't have access to the same capital that the large chains has. But let's go further than that. The reason that they can't have access to the Lord to the same amount of capital is because a lot of times we don't put ourselves in a position financially from a credit standpoint 
to be able to be equal to the ones that are getting those assets, those that that capital from those banks. Now, I do understand that sometimes the bank um, bank administration that are the ones that are making those decisions are not being fair when they make the decision on who they're going to give capital to. But there, we have a part in that as well. We have to position ourselves uh, to be available to receive capital without any, we don't need excuses is what I'm saying. Let me move to the point, I, I'm the same way. I love supporting black business, but I think we are hard on each other okay. a little bit more. Because it's been many times I've gone to the Papados, the Papacitos, the Olive Gardens, you name it, non-black establishments, and receive horrible service. And guess what? Continue and, and go back. Why do we hold ourselves? I don't know if we want to go, in, want to go into this segue into that, but you know, I can bring up self-hate. I hate to say that, but it is. But we we hard on ourselves, you know. We'll have a bad experience at one black establishment and be like, you know what? I'm not never going back, and talk so bad about it. But you go to these other, you return back to these other people who don't really give a rat's, you know what about you. So uh, that's just my take. I've learned over the years, instead of giving just one chance, go back, give them a second chance. They could have had a bad day. Yeah, like a lot of them, you know. So I just encourage encourage people just, you know, give that black owned business. Maybe two or three chances. Why not? You give that. We give the other ones. I, I think. I think we are hard on ourselves too because we expect more from ourselves. Uh, we expect better. But I'm with you on that. Like I've had bad service at plenty of restaurants, but I went back to them, like you say. So, it, and in that aspect, like we expect better quality service from ourselves, like this our people, so to say. So we says we expect more better service than than we than what we receive from you. Like, you say you're going to be here at a certain time, you're, or you open your business at a certain time, we expect that time to be over. And if you're not open, like, well, I'm not coming back. That's how people do it. I'm just, just being honest. Yeah. Or like, yeah. oh, this wasn't no good. This, this food wasn't no good. I ain't never come back here. And that's just being honest. And uh, But you're right, though. I, it, I mean, I think everybody's done it, though, to be honest. I, I think that I'm... You know, it doesn't matter what what restaurant I go to. If the service is bad, the service is bad. If the service is good, it's good. We have been to some places, and you know, there was some things that were left to be desired. But we did say, you know, we will give another chance. We'll come back uh, because we're making a concerted effort to patronize those businesses. Um, you know, I, I I'm just saying that uh, as a business owner, I understand the difficulty. And putting out a product or a service uh, that is on par with competitors yeah. and when we when we go into business uh, we have to go in with the mindset that we're looking at the long haul and we want to compete on a large level on a higher level mm -hmm. not just getting our little piece of the pie and being happy with the little profit that we make we're representing uh, more than ourselves uh, and we have to have a stake in this business sector that gives us the opportunity to, you know, open doors for other people. You know, I've, I've learned to do, we'll go out to eat at a black establishment. They say the, 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 the uh, service wasn't up to par. You know, get any drink to 20 minutes or something like that. You know what I've learned to do over the years, uh, if that's my first time going to an establishment, 
ask for the manager. Just pull him aside. You know what? I like your place, but this where is lacking that. So a lot of people appreciate that. That's just starting up, like, because they don't may may not see the flaws. Mm-hmm. What's going on? You know, they just starting off trying to get it. And they appreciate that. I, I come to see that they appreciate you just being honest with them. If they ask you how to service, don't tell them it was good. If it wasn't, right. be honest with them. Right. You know, hey. And give them opportunity to improve. Prove. Give them opportunity to improve. Right. And I mean, and that's for any business. Like, um, a couple months ago, I went to the Ford dealership to get my car service. And for some odd reason, just to get it served, get an oil change, matter of fact, they forgot about my car. They forgot to a point where they, I was there for about three hours, and I'm like, they're like, oh, you're finished now. And I go out there, like, where's my car? They had to park inside the gate and everything. So I get to it, and I look at it, like, hey, nothing was done. So the, the point I'm going with is that they messed up a whole bunch. But, the, and I told them, I, you know, how the surveys come out in the email or whatever, how it started, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just was honest with them. Like, I didn't like how it went. They, they, didn't, they left my car back there. They all went changed. And showing up to correct their mistake, they ended up giving me $150 cash back and three free, three free oil changes after that. I said, okay, you're making up for your mistake. And saying all that, if business start up, not saying you gotta give $150, but give some kind of award, like to give us the opportunity to make it back up to you. Like you say, you talk to the manager, give us the opportunity to make it back up to you. This is what we'll do for you. You gotta give a gift card or something like that. Right. Just to get you back in to show that we have improved on our service to get a repeat customer out of it. Right, right. So let me segue a little bit, uh, lighten this up a little bit. I know our listeners are, you know, we've we've gone pretty deep. But I did want to talk to you guys about another topic, kind of sports related, but let's just, you know, have a little fun for a few minutes. I got my top five list right here. I got my stats to back up my top five list. Um, You know, I'm ready. I'm armed and dangerous, ready to to give my information out. Now, I'm going to go with mine and let you guys give yours. Uh, those that are listening, especially some of these sports fanatics that might be listening to the podcast, this is a dad cast, and it's a perspective on everything from A to Z. So as the host, I have an opinion on who my top five NBA players of all time are. So I'm going to put it like this. I'm thinking strategically, not just popularity. I'm picking my five strategically. So at point guard, I've got the glove, Gary Payton. Seattle Supersonics, nine-time first-team all-defensive NBA. The only point guard in NBA history to be a nine-time first-team defensive player. 16 points a game, one championship. That's my man, running running, running the point on my all-time team. Great defender, can probably at six foot four can defend most any guard that uh, he's going to be matched up with. I'm going to go with a three guard set. My second guard, my man. I'm going down with him. I don't care what the ship says. I'm going down with my man Kobe Bean Bryant. I got to put him in there. That's my man. One of my favorite, my second most favorite player of all time. 12-time all-defensive player. Nine of those on the first team, three of those on the second team. 24.99 points per game for his career average, which is 13th all-time, by the way. Five-time, not 
one, not two, not three, not four, <laughs> but five-time NBA champion and MVP. And I'm not going to count the two MVPs he should have won that Steve Nash won, but who's, you know, hey, we'll talk about that at a later date. At my third position, I've got another guard. He is the GOAT in my opinion. Hands down, no one better. I'm going with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, of course, nine-time all-defensive player, 30.12 points per game for his career, which is, by the way, first all-time, six-time champ, six-time MVP, and let me just throw this in there, six for six in the championships. I know that's a big area of debate, but who can debate 100% in championship games? My small forward. I'm going to play a small forward on my top five. And I'm coming in with my man from San Antonio, Tim Duncan. That's my, my man at small forward. He's a 15-time all-defensive player. 19 points a game, two-time MVP, and a two-time NBA champion. He can defend the four and the five unquestionably against anyone. The big fundamental. Feet movement, smooth, can defend, can score. You name it, he can do it. And he does it without fanfare. That's what I liked about Tim Duncan. So that's my man at the four spot. And at the five, I got the captain. The one and only Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's right. 11-time all-defensive player, 24.61 career average, six-time MVP, and six-time NBA champion. Holding it down in the middle, can block shots, can defend. No one can stop the skyhook, the greatest one move in the history of the game. They can't do anything with him. I'm like Stephen A. Smith. You can't stop Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It'll come a time. That's my top five. Hey, let me give you this right quick for thought. My honorable mention, I got Magic at number six. I got Larry Bird at number seven. I got to throw him in there because Larry Bird was a beast. Bad boy. He was a beast. And I go ahead and I put LeBron in there at number eight. Yeah, I dropped him in at number eight. I'm, I'm struggling on that, that four out of ten, 40% in the in the finals. That's that's hurting me right there. That, that, that's hurting me, though. I, it's not enough to bring somebody to the dance. You got to carry him over the threshold, brother. That's me, 40%. But I put him in there at number eight. Number nine, I went with my man. I didn't like him when he played, but I respect his game. Carl Malone, number two all-time in scoring. Got to the big dance, couldn't carry him over the threshold. So I, I take a few points off of that, but I did like the way the mailman delivered during his career. And number 10, I got to go with Houston's own. Five slammer jammer, Hakeem Olajuwon. His footwork was amazing. He made Kobe what he is. Everybody says Kobe, you know, took a lot of Michael Jordan's moves and all this stuff, but he worked with Hakeem to get that footwork down so that he could get those 81 points, number two all time behind my man, Wilt Chamberlain. So I will say that Hakeem Olajuwon had an impact on Kobe's game, not to mention the other young brothers he's been working with. That's it. I'm telling you, my five is that you can't beat them. You can't beat them. I'm a be in my background and go for defense first. I don't really have favorite players. I can build a, I build a team. How about that? A championship. Let me see what you got. 
Curtis, by the way, is the youngest of us in this room right now. So let's see what Curtis is gonna bring to the table. I got a little old school up in there now. Like, but I'm a I'm a inside out player, so I gotta start with the post. I'm gonna go with Shaq, the most dominant player ever to play that position, that center. It's Shaq. You couldn't stop that man. Most dominant ever, huh? He's most dominant. You could not yeah. stop him. When he Good got that ball, you had to you had to respect that power move. And then put him at the line and what he's gonna do? Break! Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. He, he, I don't wanna cut he, you off, brother. <laughs> One year, the MVP of the league, and then the MVP of the finals. Now, come on now. And so, uh, now go out to the power forward, Dennis Rodman. Can't, t- can't deny his defense or rebounding. I'm more, like I said, I'm more of a defensive specialist. I like defense. And we, we, he, he, <laughs> as a matter of fact, the way he defended Shaq, frustrated Shaq, to the point where you got to respect that man game. And that's why Dennis Rodman's in the Hall of Fame. Now, the, the small forward is for the younger generation. I got LeBron James. Because he ain't really... He's a facilitator. He can do pretty much all, everything. He facilitates. I know you criticize about that 40% in the final, <laughs> but them teams that he carried to the finals, you got to respect what he did. He averaged a triple-double in one of those finals as well. And another way, he almost averaged another triple-double. So you got to respect what that man do. Matter, he almost averaged a triple-double this year in the finals. So you got to respect that game. And for the, for the two-guard, I got, I got joy. You got to have that killer. You got to have that killer, that closer for you. Just give him the ball and get out the way. Let him do what he do. You gotta have it. And my point guard is Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. So I got kind of a big lineup. That's how. Cause you put you put those guards out there. Curry not shooting open the courts like that. Curry just can't do it. That defense, just like back in the '90s when the Bulls had that three-headed monster with Harper up there, Jordan and Pippen. Mm-hmm. That's six-six and higher. You can't get around them. And that's what made them so dominant. And then you had also Robin in that down there too. Frustrating Shaq. Frustrating all the post players. That's what he do. So I'm more of a defensive person. A defensive special. That's what my thing is. So I, I can see my team going to the finals and do some things with them. Well, we're going to give the young gun his little yeah. time right here. But, you know, we can debate this yeah. for quite a while. But, hey, we're going to respect. Kobe is hey. my sixth man as well, too. Kobe is my sixth. Oh, my God. Let, let me bring some intelligence Let's to the conversation. Let's see this. Football background, but I love me some basketball, too. I'm going to tell you, how could you not start your team off at point guard with the Magic Man? Magic Johnson, 6'9"? Yeah, my top five. Come on, man. Oh, Alice from from half court. Man, MJ. Hey, B first, MJ. Okay, before MJ. That's my point guard. Showtime. Like you, I'm taking three guards. Okay. List them how you want. I got Magic. I'm taking Kobe. Janet Bean Bryant, and I'm taking your airness, Michael Jordan. You talking about a three-headed monster? They just had the ball. The ball don't get moved enough. Shoot. Who done move the ball? Kobe shot a lot and Jordan shot a lot, though. It don't matter. When you got magic facilitating, magic is the number one. Magic is the number one leader in all of sports, period, in the history. Name me a better leader than Magic Johnson, okay? I got to throw LeBron in. And I'm a, and I'm a late bloomer on LeBron. I'm more of an old school, but... Over the past three, four years, man, I've learned to respect this guy's game. I got, I have to put, I cannot put LeBron in. I think the most disrespected person on anybody list is Kobe Bryant. I mean, how can this dude just be second fiddle, not on anybody's first team? So I have Magic, MJ, Kobe, LeBron, and I'm taking Akeem, Hakeem, the Dream, a large one for my center. Take your outside, take your inside. Don't look at the dream back in when he was 90, 94, 95. Look at Jareem when he was 88. 
the most athletic big man in the game. Can run like a deer, led the league in block shots, seemed like every year. Had a, he's a walking double-double. Pulled down 12 to 15 rebounds a year. All right, so that's my five. My honorable mention, I'm taking with going with the second most disrespected point guard ever in Isaiah Thomas. People forget how deadly that boy was. Isaiah Thomas? Detroit Pistons? Yeah. What's cold-blooded, man? He was... He was all those Kyrie before Kyrie, right? You're talking about handles, can't shoot, can't get to the goal at 6-1. He was cold-blooded. Honorable mention, I'm going with KD, Kevin Durant. 6'10", 7'6", wingspan, can shoot from anywhere. Forgot about KD. I did. KD now, come on now. And I'm going with the solid man in San Antonio, Tim Duncan. Got to put him in there. Then I'm putting the Colas. Boy, ever play for Boston, Larry Bird, cold-blooded. I got Larry Bird there. Then I'm ending it with the general, the captain, Jabbar. Interesting that none of us put Bill Russell on the list. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the base I've had. If we're talking about rings, he should be the GOAT of all time. He should be great. Yeah, but the back then, they wouldn't. I mean, not the point, though. Yeah. A lot of people bring up the rings that – that's why I'm saying the Yankees have won 20 chips back then, but who were they playing? I mean, well, right though, but that's like people bring up LeBron won four rings, right? He got four rings, but Bill Russell has 10 rings, and and Michael Jordan has six. So you got to think about it. We're going about rings. The rings wasn't as integrated <laughs> back when Bill Russell was playing right. it is now. I mean, Red Allbar had to pick up. He had the cream of the crop. Okay, let me, ask you, let me ask y'all this. There wasn't no draft. This is another question that proposed me. Is the league easier now or easier back then to get a ring? I think right now, it's, in my opinion, it's easier now. Why is it easier now? Because you got superstars teaming up with each other. Not like it was back then. Yeah, but you also have touch fouls. And I think that's changed the game. Yeah. When Jordan, Bird, Magic, Isaiah... Even before then, the ABA, uh, when they were playing the game, people like uh, uh, the Detroit Pistons, uh, uh, what's the, the guy's name with Detroit? Uh, Lambeer. Bill Lambeer. Yeah. Lambeer and these guys, Robin, when he was there, they could foul the mess out of somebody, which was really what morphed. Uh, Jordan's game into the next levels that he knew he had to go into the, the weight room and bulk up to be able to take those hits that he was getting. So uh, I think it was it's easier now because you have a game that's played from the three-point line as opposed to a game that's played down in the paint. Um, centers ran the game for the most part. It was an inside-out game in the 70s, 80s, maybe into the 90s a little bit. Then all of a sudden you start having these phenoms like Kevin Durant that could come into the league, Dirk Nowitzki, mm-hmm. uh, these guys that could stretch the court, shoot three-pointers at seven foot tall. Um, and they moved away, in my opinion, from that big man on the inside that really was the main staple of a team. Uh, but I still think there's something to be said about, you know, having a, a solid big man. You know, you know. So I, I think it was. I think it's easier now. I think it's easier because, for one thing, the hand check like you just alluded to, I mean, can you imagine Jordan out of getting hand checked? I mean, I mean, he would score 45 a game. Easy. You think Curry would be, or, or, or be himself if he had guys like the glove checking him? Imagine if, if Curry had the glove and guys like Mookie Blaylock and uh, 
some of those other point guards back in the day who would just hem you up. The guy that 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 raced all around. I mean, come on, man. Guys like Dominique Wilkins would be considered one of the greatest ever if he played today. I mean, you can check guys like that. And like, um, I referee high school basketball games at AAU tournaments, um, and we call the captains to the circle at the beginning of the game. We let them know, say, you do this, you pull away from with your hand hand check. It's not a foul, but you keep it on there, and then we're gonna call a foul. Because I'm like, I'm still kind of I'm, I'm younger than y'all, but I'm still have like old school era. Like, I like to play physical. When I played ball, I played physical. Because that's how I was brought up with the, my older cousins and stuff like that. So I'm like, I'm going to let you play a little bit. That's just me. Not a little ticky tack file. I'm like, come on. We're going to keep this game moving. I'm like, you got to get tough. Which is another reason <laughs> I can already hear what's happening on the through the airways when I say this. But it's another reason I can't put LeBron in my top five because my man complains too much. Even saying after the championship, I need my respect. The Lakers need their yeah. respect. I'm getting fired. Wham, wham, wham. Man, Jordan never. Bird never. Magic no, never. They, 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 All these guys we listen to, oh, they never oh, would complain. What magic, magic, magic was the biggest whiner. Yeah, but oh. what did he do, though? He, he showed up. But Magic was a run to the referee, big for a foul. Every, that's my guy. And Jordan. What did one complaint people ever have? You can't even touch Jordan. The referee is blowing the whistle. So superstar is going to get those calls. Jordan always got the call. You I think with LeBron is because he's so big and fast and strong than everybody else. To see a big guy like that complaining is a little more biased. Like, man, you can just run through guys. Stop complaining so much, LeBron. But those other guys that complain, they get a pass. It's just that LeBron is bigger, stronger, and faster. I'm Nobody giving Jordan the pass because he's six for six, six in the <laughs> finals, bro. <laughs> That's the same thing with Shaquille O'Neal, though. Shaquille O'Neal, they didn't call a lot of stuff for him because he, he was so big and much bigger than everybody, so he got beat up a lot of times. And I know that frustrates him. Like when he was at LSU before he went to the league, his coach, Dale Brown, he said, Coach Dale Brown told him, you might as well just go get paid for getting beat up. That's why he left school early because he said he actually wanted to stay in college, but Dale Brown told him to go ahead and get paid for getting beat up because – you got to think about it. You that much bigger than somebody, referees are all like, oh, he can take it. Let him go. Let it go. So you got to think about that. And like he said, Jordan will get them calls. It's a Jordan call. The Jordan effect. <laughs> you got to think about it. LeBron over, he, 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 I mean, it's like everything. Then, then the flops and they catch him on camera and flop. Well, everybody in the day now, though. Everybody yeah, now. Not everybody. Yeah, he, I, he's he's a little drama queen now. We know that. <laughs> he, he can be. He can be. But everybody, i seen everybody lead, cry about it. I like, like watching the bubble, like, and now they don't have no really crowd at the game. You can hear what they complain about. Like, they're like, everybody complains about every single colleague they don't file. Like, you look at it, you are filing him, literally. So, you think they're more mentally they're more mentally tougher back then? I do I think, think that I because, think so. yeah. I think you so. know, Rutgers Park, for instance, mm-hmm. made a lot of NBA players, legends at Rutgers Park. Yeah. If we come right here into Houston, there are a lot of ballparks right yeah. here in the city that made, you know, where the five slammer jammer were out in the community playing some pickup games right here in Houston when they were, you know, when Hakeem and those guys, Drexler and all those guys were here in the, in the area. Fundy. Yeah, and so, you know, a pickup game when you're calling your own fouls, it used to be, you know, in my day, if you ain't draw no blood, it's not a foul, bro. Right, right. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I think the NBA has morphed into a less physical game. It opens the way for 
more entertainment, like the Steph Curry kind of entertainment, you know, just dribble, 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 shoot, dribble, mm-hmm. dribble, dribble, shoot. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't throw my man um, uh, Reggie Miller in there, mm-hmm. deadly from the three-point line, and the tenacity. is This wiry little young guy that came into the league should not have did what he did in the league. Right. Physically, he was not the kind of guy that should have made the impact that he made. But because he had the tenacity, the mindset that he would go after anyone, including Jordan, you know, he did not see Jordan as the god of basketball. He saw Jordan as a, a, a you know, an enemy. And that's something how you see the clips today. Reggie Miller didn't want to talk about Jordan. It still affect guys later. Like, this is a guy who stopped me from getting my chip. Yeah. Carl Malone the same way. I saw an interview that, when the, that uh, documentary came out earlier this summer. Carl Malone asked him about Jordan. He was like, what about him? Yeah. Those guys still had that chip. Like it's, like you say, it's a different NBA because even though they are opponents of a different team, they all work out together. They vacation together. They hang out together. Like back in the day, it wasn't none of that. You were like, you on your own. You figure out how to beat me. I Jordan, Jordan barely got along with his own team. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I don't know if y'all watched the, um, the 10 point series on the Chicago Bulls, mm-hmm. but it's, it, I didn't like those practices that Jordan had with the players. I'm like, I'm ready to fight Jordan every single day. But it made it got the best out of him, though. But yeah, I don't know how, he, how they made it through practice. He was talking down, calling people out in practice every day, fighting Steve Curry practice. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different you know, uh, COVID was the same, same way. way. Very difficult to, to practice with. Very difficult to be a teammate with. In his later years, he you know softened up a little bit and became a little more personable. Uh, but they That's were going out to those great though, That's right. That, that, that edge that it's successful where they are, just that edge that, you know what, I need something to tick me off to get me going. Some of the guys that I could not stand, like John Stockton, mm-hmm. yeah, you I still had the respect that he would go after anybody. Sometimes he has some dirty picks, you know, on mm-hmm. that pick and roll no, with Carl Malone. We know definitely in Houston how dirty the stocking is. Trust me, we know but that. But he was still, you got to respect the fact that he didn't back down, even being undersized in some cases. You know, he still went after people. Yeah. It's what it's that different mentality now. And, uh, and that's how I look at Bird. I couldn't, I wasn't a Boston, I was an L.A. Lakers guy. Oh, yeah, all the way. I didn't like Boston for the reasons, we, you know, that's well documented. But it took years later, years, decades later, for me to appreciate how cold-blooded that boy can play. He, yeah. he, he was good, man. Yeah. He, he can get after you. He didn't take no shortcuts. He worked hard, and he played hard, and he was good. Right, right. Well, hey, man, we've talked about a lot of different things. I appreciate you guys' time. You know, we hit the important uh, topics today when it comes to politics. Everybody knows the election is coming up five days from the date of this recording. Um, by the time it comes out, it'll be four days away. Uh, we have some work to do still. After the election is over, we're still going to have a divided country regardless of who wins. And so we have to be conduits, in my opinion, uh, out in the community, out in our, in our inner circle to draw people together and, and be less divisive. Uh, we still need to support our own. We definitely need to promote our own agendas, push our own issues. But at the end of the day, we got to find a way to get along uh, with people across the board, just like they need to get along across the aisle over on the hill, Capitol Hill, that is. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can just find a way to do things positively, uh, change our world for the better. 
I'm right on my top five. That's all, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say that. I'm right on my top five. My mm. top five will beat your top five any day of the week. I doubt it, man. I doubt it, man. We talking about what? 20 chips on my team, man. Yeah, well, my five. One-on-one <laughs> -on -one can't be stopped. Five-on-five five can't be stopped. My man, the glove will shut him down. You know Dream was the only one of three players to ever block the skyhook. Yeah. Dream one of Chamberlain and Nate Thurman. Or the three so people. I'm gonna take those statistics. <laughs> if, it's, if it's only three people to block the skyhook, <laughs> I'm gonna take that 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 chance every day of the week. That gotcha. that 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 move is unstoppable. Hey, but uh, I appreciate you guys, man. Really, I thank you for taking the time to talk to uh, me and to our listeners about this. There's a lot more we could discuss. We could go on and on and on about politics. We could definitely go on and on about debating our position in sports. But I want to encourage everyone out there to uh, find you some people that you can talk with, have discussions with about tough subjects, because that's the way we move forward. We've got to put ourselves in a position where we hold the discussion and we're not afraid to be honest. And, and it doesn't mean we have to agree, but we do need to have the discussion, have dialogue about it. I want to thank everybody for listening. And as I always say, blessings and peace. I'm out.